right, hello and welcome to Between the Liars with Ryan, and we have a very special guest back again, Danielle. Hi, everybody. Good to see you. Glad to be back. Good to Lots have of good you. Stuff back. To talk about today. <laughs> we do have a lot. It's great to have you back uh, today. I think something that Danielle said in our last segment really stuck out, and I think we'll frame a lot of where we go in our conversation, but it was the idea of the importance of person over party. And I think that's kind of a resounding theme throughout kind of your past, and I'm really excited to get into that. So today is all about getting to know one of our newest hosts, Danielle, uh, military veteran, criminal justice reform advocate, future politician, fingers crossed, from what she's been saying. So uh, I'm going to... I'm gonna. <laughs> I'm going to open the floor to you. Why don't you just start by talking a little bit about your past? So my past is so big. I, I've touched on so many different aspects of Christianity. Um, sub, like it just it goes substance abuse, prison, uh, politics, uh, name it. I've done it. Mm. Uh, it. There's just so much. But when it comes to like what we're speaking about today, uh, person over party, that to me resounds deep inside me. You know, I was born in a small town in southern New Mexico to a very staunch Republican family that I love dearly. They gave me my moral insight that I can follow and always find my way back home. Uh, they did that by, you know, putting me into Christian school and I, until sixth grade. Um, I went to church every Sunday, every Wednesday, uh, every Wednesday night, every Sunday night, every, I mean, I, I hated it. Let's be honest. <laughs> but they made me do it. And I wasn't glad about that until recently because mm. it took a lot of years before I was able to discern what that feeling in here was, mm. you know, that where I was always questioning myself or if I was to make a decision or I had already made a decision regarding whatever. And I kept questioning, like, is this right? Is this right? Mm. It took a long time for me to figure out what that was. And uh, if it wasn't for my parents and my family, like showing me from a little age of where I'm supposed to be, my moral compass is supposed to be grounded at, I don't know where the hell it'd be. Sorry. But I mean, <laughs> so institutionalized or dead. I'm one of the other. <laughs> okay. So you, you had kind of a very grounded, it sounds like a very conservative upbringing. How did that change or, or what did that look like once you got to college? You're out on your own. Um, what were your, your beliefs, political beliefs, just general beliefs at that point? So um, truthfully, you know, I lived a very hypocritical life. Like mm. I was full of hypocrisy. You know, um, I, I was sleeping with women. I was dating women, LGBTQ. But then I was like preaching the word and it just none of it meshed well mm. with me. Uh, you know, and I still struggle with that daily. But when it, when I got to college and, and, you know, I was listening, I was in school of social work at ASU and people, and I, I started this on myself, like, why am I thinking the way that I think? Why am I reacting to certain things the way I'm reacting to them? Why do I believe this? Is it real? You know, and I started to do a lot of digging and trying to figure out where all of that came from. Hmm. And ton of that the majority of it is conditioning from your young age, you know, up. And regarding my political stance, I really didn't get heavily into politics until about four years ago. Okay. But before then, it was always Republican. Republican, that's it. Now, after the School of Social Work, and I, that's one thing I have to give ASU is they help me see myself as a normal human being and to bring me back on the level of everybody else. I mean, I always was, but I always put myself up here, which... Mm why? I'm nobody. You know what I mean? Right. It's just, I had to ground myself and uh, I was very anti-gay, but not in my personal life, if mm. that means anything. Interesting. So I was living in just turmoil on the inside and um, I'm getting better about it with things the way that they are. I've been alone for going on two years now and I'm loving every minute of it mm. for the most part. Uh, you know, life's hard to get lonely, but I get through it. Yeah. So it sounds more like it was even more recently than college that you were instead of just you mentioned like voting straight ticket Republican, just looking into the actual ideals of these candidates and starting to actually look into them instead of just it's got an R check. Is that accurate? That is accurate. So what really when I started working for the state representative here in Arizona, I started to see politicians for really what they really were, because I, I know I got to hang out with them. I got to meet them. Any 
Arizona politician that you can think of, I probably shook their hands or sat at the dinner table with them mm. or something of that matter. And there are the reason why I I check now is because I I know some of those people and mm -hmm. I don't want them in office. I don't mm. care if they have an R next <laughs> to their name or a D or whatever. Yeah. So I did the research regarding other people on the other side of the ticket, in the middle of the ticket, and uh, tell you what, the first year I put signs up in my yard. And I had Democrat signs and Republican signs, and I was just a walking ball of confusion. And so anybody that said anything to me about that, I was like, well, welcome to my world. Like, <laughs> now you can see what I live with on a daily basis. But yeah. guess what? I'm okay with that today because I don't have to explain anything to anybody of mm. why I do what I do. I'm not hurting anyone. So it's just that research, you know, when... I got the chance to possibly work with this Democrat who's running for an office here in Arizona. I don't want to say anything yet, but, um, <laughs> you know, I've, I've known her for uh, quite a while. And one of her signs was in my yard a few years back. And, you know, I did the research on her and I looked at her past voting records or uh, personal records regarding the seat that she's going to be in, mm -hmm. uh, you know, and I was blown away, you know, we have a lot in common. Mm. Like I'm Republican and she's Democrat. <laughs> Wait a second. I like you better than I like so-and-so who's yep. Republican. You know what I mean? And it yep. just took that opening that door and, and being okay with saying, Hey, mm. whatever I'm filling in here that I thought was right all this time was not right. Or for me, it wasn't. Um, so I did the research to make sure that what I was doing fit what I believe. Yeah. And that that's not red or blue. It's not. You keep mentioning doing the research. And I think that's so important because so many people, their research is great. They have an R. They have a D after their name. They're red. They're blue. And I, I, I personally am finding that the more that I dig into the issues or I look into how are people voting, these politicians seem to be focused on theatrics, right? You've got this almost obligatory outrage when the other side does something, but they work hand in hand with them. You know, you 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 see these candidates going at each other's throats when it's election year time, but then they're out as the elites at these expensive restaurants, rubbing shoulders with each other. And it's it, the parties are really the people and the politicians like that is the class there. It is not Republican, Democrat. But to me, it almost seems to be a way of keeping people preoccupied with the issues so that they can stay more in power. That That's my opinion. That That is my takeaway there. What do you think of that? Well, um, you know, I really think that, you know, politicians, I'm going to be real flat out honest. I think they're all liars to an extent. I Even the ones that I love dearly here, liars. Yep. And that's 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 one that's one reason why I got out of the political world too mm. was because I I couldn't stand being a liar yep. like that um, looking in people's faces and saying one thing but doing another that brought me back to my using days you know yeah when I was when I was popping pills right and left and I was saying whatever I had to say to appease the person at the moment and that yeah. was it it didn't matter um, you know mm. and I don't want to ever go back to that so. You know, if I'm ever going to be in politics, then people are going to just have to deal with my crazy truths. And yeah. if it's not, if it's not okay <laughs> with them, then that, that's the way it is, you know, because yeah. it's hard. It's hard to discern what is right and wrong. And that's when I go back to that gut feeling that you have inside of you or that I have inside of me, you know. I like to say it's my higher power or uh, the Holy Spirit or, you know, even my, my mom's voice saying, <laughs> It. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's, it's tough. It's tough. It is. And and you mentioned they're all a bunch of liars and like insert the title of our show like that we want to have those discussions that they're not having the debates that they're not having because Josh and I, we might not even agree for the same reasons, but a lot of times we'll find common ground in an area or at least partial common ground which is unexpected unfortunately in today's political age I think because it's like well how can you guys as different as you are find that common ground and really and it, I think what's most interesting to me is that in the political sphere you almost seem beholden to your funds right and and the party is accountable to their donors 
which more often than not, the, the chunks of money they get are not going to be from your everyday Americans donating grassroots most of the time. That, that's the exception, not the rule, is usually conglomerates. And that's where we get into the lobbying and all of that. And I think, well, actually, I want to hear what you think. What do you think that has to do for someone who's you know bright-eyed and bushy-tailed, new to Congress like you, like, I want to do this, not this? How do you think that that affects newcomers? So for me, and I can only speak for myself, but I can tell you that um, when I was working for the state representative here, working with him, I volunteered. Mm. But I saw the massive amounts of dark money that came in to keep him out of office. Mm. There was close to, I think, don't quote me on this, but I believe it was close to $2 million that was donated just for him. And he is in a small district in northern Arizona. But you know what? They didn't like him because he said exactly what he thought about BLM. He's an African-American man himself, and he uh, was the first black Republican to be uh, elected into our legislature. And, um, you know, he was getting his ass kicked, sorry, language, but um, (laughs) on on Twitter, you know, in person, everywhere. But he said what he wanted to say. So back to me, I think. I would have a long shot if I ever wanted to run for any office whatsoever because I say exactly what I feel. And that normally goes against the well-funded left side. And I cannot switch over to full Democrat. uh, And that's really, I'm just going to be honest, and that's because of the abortion issue. Hmm. Am I, and it's not that I want it to be abolished. No, but um, that's a whole different story. But that is, you know, I don't think I have a great chance when I have a lot of money. Mm. All I can do is speak the truth and I can tell you what I what I would want to bring to the table. And that were to ever happen, then that would just have to be enough. I, I almost wonder if that would make it difficult for you to find a platform to run on. And by platform, I mean Democrat, Republican, because neither side speaks the truth to the people. Like, I mean, you, you, you pick a person in Congress right now, they're, they're more interested in saying the right thing especially when election time, like we're coming up on midterms, the things that are being changed, the more moderate the policies are becoming, um, the less offensive, quote unquote, they, they try to become because they want to stay in power. And I think that that makes it very difficult for the people to really know what's going on. And I think what that should be a strength for someone like you. Unfortunately, it seems like more often than not right now, that makes them the target. You know, the, the people. Well, are... <laughs> look at uh, look at the big, bad orange man, yep. like. Uh, Donald Trump, that man spoke whatever he felt, whatever was coming out. He didn't have a filter. Nope. Um, myself, I appreciate that. Mm. You know, I have never felt more safe in my country than when President Trump was president. Mm. Now, with the uh, president in office, which I respect the seat and, and I respect his seat in office, I don't feel safe. You know, uh, I would prefer somebody to be outright honest like Donald Trump. Saying it is what it is. This is how it is. You don't like it, then, well, I'll just beep it out there. You know how he is. <laughs> I prefer that over, over, oh, you know. Yeah. I want to know the truth about what's going on. In theory, and at least in that instance, you you know why you dislike, right? So, like, you can point to that as opposed to the lip service that politicians often give us. So, this this is kind of related, but but slightly off. Military veteran, tell us a little bit about that. I, I want to hear about your experiences in the military and how they were right, shaped so stuff. In, um, well, we all know what happened in 2001. Yep. So I, I waited a bit after I was in Oklahoma City, living there, and uh, it was 2003. I decided I want to, I want to be a part of this. Hmm. You know, my father, uh, he is a retired fireman. My great uncle John was on the USS Arizona when it got hit, and so was his wow. twin brother. Hmm. Uh, Unfortunately, his twin brother did not make it. And my uncle John, he passed away a few years back. Um, my grandfather was in the army. You know, it was huge. Like, yeah. I wanted to do that. And my mom told me, you know, when I was a little girl, I drew a picture of a, of a soldier. And I said, I want to be that. I've got to get chills. So uh, that's what I did. I joined I joined the Navy and uh, you know, I took the ASVAB. And they said, well, you, how about medic? Would you like to be a hospital corpsman? Well, what is that? basically a nurse. Well, guess what? I've got two aunts that are a nurse and, um, you know, the healthcare uh, field in our family is strong and I wanted to do that. My, my father's an EMT. So I, I joined and I became a hospital corpsman. Uh, all was going well. I was in Chicago for a little over a year and then I 
my first duty station in Camp Pendleton. And then it all just crumbled after that. So I went home one day with, with a, a migraine and my chief, who, <clears throat> who knew all about my headaches before, he would, would always give me a shot of Toradol when I had one, you know, but this day was worse. You know, I went, I went, he sent me home and that evening I heard a knock on my bedroom door, or on my uh, front door and I looked out the window and it was him. And so I opened the door and he says, well, how are you feeling, Sutherland? I still have a headache, Chief. Well, I brought you some medication. So he pulled out the shot, tore it all. I mean, that was just everything that he always did. You know, next thing I know, it was the middle of the night, and um, I was not in a position of where I wanted to be. Uh, you know, he was taking advantage of me, and that really, really screwed me up. You know, this man that I would have laid my life down for, and I expected, you know, that he would have done the same for me. It was just that camaraderie, and all of that just destroyed. You know, and it really, really, really threw me for a loop. I ended up getting out um, of the military in 2005, and man, my life crumbled from then. And yeah, it was I got hooked on pills. The VA was giving me like 180 clonopin a month, and they would be gone in two weeks. <laughs> I mean, it was bad. Yeah, you know, and I got, that's when I got caught up with the criminal justice system here and in New, in New Mexico. And that has been over a decade battle of cleaning up the wreckage of my past. But I made it out. I am stronger than ever. I mean, I still have my bad days, but I'm able to handle them and handle them in a healthy manner today. Yeah. And um, it, it's hard, but it's possible, you know. So it was, so, it, it, it's, it's sounding then like the military and then, the, the legal opioids to help cope afterwards was what opened kind of that door for the addiction that you dealt with then? Well, it was, yeah, the benzodiazepine, yeah. Okay. Um, I, yeah, it's like Xanax, sister to Xanax is what it is. I have no idea what that is. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, no, just that I felt the military was the catalyst to get me to where I am today. And I don't like to get stuck in my past about, oh, my God, this happened. And then I get in a rabbit hole of poor me, but then I forget about where the hell I am today. And um, I have more today than I thought I would ever have Mm. because let's go to 2015 when all of my charges here in Arizona took place all in one year. I have three DUIs and two aggravated assaults and they were all on pills. And the assault were assaults on medical uh, professionals. That's when I went to the hospital, doctor shopping, trying to get medication. Mm. And um, God, my life was a train wreck. But uh, those three DUIs that happened, two of them were dismissed and then refiled, one in 2017 and one in 2019. And it's just like God or whomever keeps reminding me, remember who you were? Don't let that ego get out of hand. Let me put you right back so you can remember the fight to get back out. Because, you know, I do have to keep my ego in check. And but if I don't, someone else does. I'd rather do it because when he does it, it's harder. (laughs) So for those that might not know, and I am one of those people, so I'm genuinely asking, what what does the refiling do? Like what what does that mean exactly for, for you, for your record? So I got a DUI in January 2015, one in June of 2015, and one of October of 2015. And I am just, I have to say this, so grateful that I never hurt anybody or myself uh, yeah. during that. I couldn't live with myself. But like I said, they were denied or they were uh, dismissed. And I, I thought I had got, gotten away with it, if I'm going to be real honest. But uh, 2017 came and it was one of them was refiled the June of 2015 was refiled and I ended up going to prison January. I'm sorry, it was refiled 2016. I went to prison 2017, January, 2017. I went four months uh, for the first, for that DUI. And then after that, I started toying around with sobriety and, you know, get better, but still in and out, in and out. Um, And then that October one was refiled my senior year when I was at Arizona State University. Mm. I was, in my policy class, and I remember somebody had texted me, hey, we have, uh, you have a bunch of mail here from an attorney, mm. a bunch of different attorneys that say, oh, you have a DUI, uh, call us, we want to help you. And I'm like, wait a second, I haven't, I haven't, I haven't done that. It's been like right. five years, what are you talking about? Nothing. Really so I go home, 
no, I go home and I, I call one of the attorneys. I'm like, what the hell is going on? You know, and the, the uh, secretary said, well, it looks like your October of 2015 was refiled on you. Mm -hmm. And I, I literally, when I say literally hit the, the floor, I dropped because that was my third. And this is Arizona. Yeah. And if you don't know that policy for DUIs in Arizona, don't ever get one because it's, <laughs> yeah. it's not... Not, a, I mean, don't get one anyway. But it's that not, is the best strategy. Yeah, <laughs> no. Yeah, I, that's what I meant. Um, but yes, so <laughs> it really, I was looking at ten to fifteen years in prison. Wow. If I would have gone, if I would have gone to trial and mm. fought it, I would have done. I would have lost. Um, it would have been ten to fifteen years because it fell under that mandatory sentencing, which yep. I hope we touch on eventually. And my policy teacher told me, you need to write a letter to legislation. And I said, you're ridiculous. Those guys, they don't give, they don't care about me. They don't care about you. There's who are, I don't even know what they do. You know what I mean? And she's like, just write the damn letter. It's really what she said. So I, I thought on it, thought on it. I couldn't write it, couldn't write it. And I, I woke up out of a dead sleep in the middle of the night, one night. And I was like, oh. grab my laptop. And I just, pump that thing out and I gotta tell you that letter well obviously that's how I ended up working for the state representative and meeting all of these people you know he answered me along with one other politician um, the other one it was that's neither here nor there but um, the one that I started working with you know that letter is what got me there so we do have a voice you know yeah. as as constituents you know they do there are some that care and there are some that remember that they actually work for us. I think a lot of times they forget that. Yep. And, um, and so I'm so grateful to my, my ASU teacher for demanding me to write that letter or else, you know, I wouldn't be here. Um, mm -hmm. And when, when he backed me up, I saw myself in a different light, you know, because I have been so down, so down on myself for so many years yeah. of what a mess, what a mess up I have been, you know, what a disappointment I have been to my family. You know, and it didn't matter what they told me, you know, because their family, they have to say that, right? Sure. But when this politician who was like nationally known was standing behind me and saying, hey, you know, you're better than this. You've done all of this since 2015. You have worked on your sobriety. You have, you're about to graduate Arizona State University. Um, you turned your life around. Tell the story, damn it. So that's what I did. And he, he gave me that platform to do that. Ugh, I get chills. And, you know, I thought that uh, case for, actually, I'm give credit where credit's due. My ex-wife and I, we fought that mm. case for 386 days. And I ended up signing a six-month plea to the Department of Corrections uh, here in Arizona. And a week before my sentencing, I get a call from my attorney. And he said, we heard from Maricopa County Attorney's Office. They reviewed all of your information and they decided to lower the charge to a class one misdemeanor, no jail time. As long as I didn't pop positive on a test or whatever, or mess up probation, uh, I was like, and that was another time. Like when they refiled, I hit the floor crying. When, when he called and told me that 386 days later, after I signed six months away in the Department of Corrections, that that was over and no more. And I wasn't a felon again or had another felony, like hit the floor crying again, you know. And it's just amazing to me how I'm still standing. And, and, and that is not, that's something that I want to make clear to everybody that it's hard, especially when you're alone. Like I'm in Arizona alone, but I am not alone. You know, I have my recovery family. I have my family in New Mexico. I've got, you know, I've got people, but there's a lot of people that don't. And for those who, who don't, I want to just let them know that if they come into recovery or whenever they're able to come into recovery, they get to choose their family and they're not going to be alone. I have met some of the most grounded, trustworthy people in recovery and prison, believe it or not, that are still my friends, you know, to this day. That I would that I trust with everything, and um, to to say that out loud, it almost sounds just yeah. Former addicts and and 
formerly incarcerated are the best people to become friends with. Mm. As long as they're doing the next right thing too. Right. So. so how do you think that might have influenced maybe what you look for in candidates or like maybe do you view the issue of inc- incarceration, prison reform differently now, now that you've kind of been on that side? I do. So um, here in Arizona, we have the mandatory sentencing, which puts, I mean, it puts me under the same umbrella. It puts me under the same umbrella with somebody that killed somebody else. You know, it could be a manslaughter charge that they're dealing with and me with my third DUI. We're under that same sentencing umbrella. Now, am I saying that that's good or bad? That is a case by case basis, which I think a judge should be able to look at. Guess what? Here in Arizona, if there's mandatory sentencing, the judge has no discretion whatsoever. So the judge, like, she has no say. And for me, I had the same judge, which is, I don't believe in coincidence. I had the same judge for all my cases in 2015. And then when my, both of those were refiled, 2016, 2019, same judge. What are the chances of that? But she didn't have, she did not have a say in any of it, you know? Like, they wanted to put me away. My first plea was three and a half years. Guess what? I don't blame them. Like, looking at my record on paper is not pretty. Right. Like, you, I mean, come on now. I, but the thing is, is judicial discretion and you know, seeing who the person is today, are they a danger to society? If they continue to live out in the community, is it going to be safe for everyone else? You know, and that should be something that the judge has the capability to look at. Just to put somebody, people under one umbrella and just sentence, sentence, sentence. Not good. Not right. good whatsoever. And if I would have gone back to prison after all of the work that I had done, I'm not, I will never say that I didn't deserve that because I don't like sure. to say that. It would not have been beneficial to myself, to the community, or uh, or anybody else for that matter, because I would have done three and a half years if I would have done the, the full time or whatever. Sorry, but um, I most likely would have come out worse than I was before. You know, sure. um, institutionalized, and I had just got found my voice. I had just found my passion, and I was kicking ass and taking names, man. And um, and then the court comes along and I went back. Yeah, well, especially because they refiled, like you, you were getting your life on track, and then they just kind of. Yeah, they have seven years here. Well, uh, I had no idea that they had that long to kind of refile and go after them again. And I mean, well, I mean, you've you've got the recidivism, right? Like high rates of people who have been in prison, they're more likely to go back into prison, or they're more likely to commit crimes Mm -hmm. that get them back into prison, rather, because it changes you. And if everyone is just under the same category as it seems, the mandatory minimums create that category in that way it, it can on it like I, I think we need to ask the broader question of how does that affect our goal right because if the goal the goal is repay your debt to society and then change the people so that they can be good citizens again right like that's supposed to be the way that this works maybe supposed maybe it's to. not supposed to be it's supposed to be well <laughs> let me tell you when i know when when i did that four months um in the department of corrections here in arizona yep I was uh, I was mandated to do like uh, DUI classes and recovery classes while in there. And at that point, to be honest, I have done recovery and uh, those types of classes for almost nine years. I could have taught it myself. Yep. But uh, the person that was doing it, he literally fell asleep every day in his office. He gave us like scissors and crowns and like we got to just like. I mean, this is what corrections is right now. <laughs> and, you know, as the mandatory citizen, and I, that's what, I'm, I'm not kidding. And I'm not even, like, trying to lift that up at all. It is what it is. He, sure. I know more about his dog. I learned more about his dog, Lucy, than I learned about recovery ever. So the, only, the one thing that I took from that that I will never forget is I got stung by a bee while sitting in that class. And that right there, like, tells you he didn't do his damn job to help, like, you know, with getting recovery. You know what I mean? There's, there is, there's just really, corrections is sad. And they, they have to keep their bed filled in order to keep that money coming in from the state. There is, there's a level of, um, 
I don't know exactly. Let's, I'm just guessing here. Let's say they need to keep their beds at 85% full. I just pulled that number. It's not, you know, uh, but they're going to need to get those filled so they can get that money coming in. That's yep. what it's about. It's always about lining somebody's pocket, yep. or and it's never about taking care of the core problem. And that's the issue, the core problem. Where does that begin? Well, your guess is as good as mine. Yep. I mean, it's obviously not where we are now. There needs to be better programming in there. There needs to be, you know, better court systems, different yep. laws that aren't. Ours was like 1991 was when our statutes were enacted. Mm. And I'm like, man. I don't want to age myself because that just feels like <laughs> yesterday, but it wasn't. <laughs> things changed, but it, it's just things need to be looked at differently. And addiction is tough. Addiction is hard and it changes the person that you are. Yeah. Um, you know, I was, I was not a good human mm. on the outside and I had lost my core, but I was able to find that again. And so, you know, I don't want people to give up hope. If their loved ones or whomever they may know that has an addiction issue, right? It's tough, you know. You got and, and it's a balancing game of of a, a tough love versus enabling. Like it right. is just it's exhausting. And for my family, my aunt, my grandmother, my mom, my dad, like like that kills me more now than to think about what I was doing in 2015, just popping pills only because I wanted to exist. Like I was only existing in 2015. You know, I didn't leave my apartment except to go get cigarettes. And the times I did, I got caught for a DUI. <laughs> so, like, <laughs> oh, no. um, I'm not kidding. That was the whole reason, but um, I didn't want to wake up. And every day right. that I woke up, I was pissed off. And um, that is why I am such an advocate for people uh, in substance abuse and with mental health issues I don't even like calling it mental health issues. You know, I, I struggle with depression and I struggle with it every day. And the more that I'm vocal about it, the less stigma that is attached to it and the less people, I, I'm tired of feeling bad about it. You know, I'm tired of being embarrassed because I wake up in the morning and I'm just so sad and there's no reason. But if I talk about it, like I'm talking with you and everybody else watching, I'm okay. Mm. I really am okay. You know, getting out of this takes a village. So just know that your village is waiting. If you're just looking in the right, right spots. And God, I just have to, I have to tell that representative who helped me because he's the one that lifted me up and gave me that boost of of power. Like he goes, did you forget who you were? I remember he said that. He said, "I, I feel like somebody knocked you down a long time ago and you believed everything that they said. Mm. And I thought about that for a minute, and I was like, you know, he's right. Yeah. Well, Angela made this comment. Uh, validation by people you respect makes you reevaluate the way you believe about yourself. I think that's a really good point, and like that, that night, that kind of nicely complements what you're saying here. I think that in in your case, it was someone in a position of power who was able to not only support you, but like actually back you um, with with legitimate power in that instance. And I think that that's. I guess I'm surprised as we talk about this that this is not a larger issue when people are running on platforms. Like I feel like we we always go to like maybe two to three major issues for candidates and then they forget about stuff like this or they choose not to. You know what? I, they're politicians. I'm going to attribute malice. They just choose. It's not important. It's not on their radar um, because, you know, that would be caring a little too much about us. <laughs> right. But, I, you know, I got to give, like I said, credit where credit is due. Representative, I work for Representative Walt Blackman and yep. he still stands firmly on everything that he stood firmly on before. And for that not to change mm-hmm. the, the direction of the wind of which way that blows, that is huge. Yeah. And I, I huge. if I was in his district, I'd vote for him yep. in a heartbeat, you know? So, and, and same thing for the, uh, the person I'm, I'm going to vote for the Democrat, you know, yep. this person traveled all around Arizona, restoring people's rights for marijuana charges mm. for free on our own money, like all over Arizona doing this for people and getting chills again. Yeah. It's just, it's, it's <laughs> things like that. Action is a, you know, that's a verb. Do you yep. do, you know, if you're, if you're preaching it, 
do it. Yeah. You know, uh, Representative Blackman is a, is a huge criminal justice reform advocate, and that's what he, you know, really works towards um, in the legislature here in Arizona. And when he returned my, or he called me after receiving my letter, you know, I was just like, I, I remember speaking to him for the first time. I was on, on our roof my, in my old house hanging Christmas lights and listening to Sound of Silence while hanging Christmas lights. <laughs> Great song. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, anyways, that probably tells you where my head was at the time. But anyways, <laughs> he's like, hey, this is a rep- this is Representative Walt Blackman. And I was like on the roof, really? You know, and uh, I would love to meet you. I'd love to meet your wife. And he's like, wait a second, you're a Republican. You want to meet my wife too? Hang on a second. I have gotten more love and which I'm blown away by more love from the um, conservative community. Mm. Don't get me wrong. I've gotten plenty of hate too, from sure. them, but I've gotten less hate and more love from them than I have on the other side. <laughs> but you know, I'll take the love. Yeah. I can get. Well, and, so. and there's, there's plenty of bad apples on both sides, but I, I really think that sure. the reason that, that the conservative party is going to be more accepting is because usually they value individualism and they don't place people into these boxes where they can, you know, when they don't conform, they they can't escape from that depending on, you know, what's convenient to them in that election cycle. They view you as an individual above all else. And as lo- and like, if we can agree on core values like individualism, like small government, like, you know, supporting the, the individuals who are good, cre- like you said, credit where credit is due to these individuals who supported you, who remember that they're responsible to us, you specifically in this instance, then like that, that's a huge overlap on, on what's important to them. It really is. I mean, that, that really made, that could have made or broke my decision on, let's be, let's be honest here. When I first had that case refiled, I was thinking of ways to off myself, you know, and I'm not kidding. Like I was, how can I, how can I do this in, in a respectful order? How, how am I going to go to heaven if I do that? You know, and this, it was like, I was just fighting internally because I didn't wow. want to live. I didn't want to do 10 to 15 years in prison. You know, it was just, I was such, I felt like such a disappointment for so long. And he was the one. And I, my family too, but again, family's family. And if you have a good one like I do, you're used to them saying, "We love you." We, you know, you're this, you're better. You can do this. Right. But when someone else says it, especially in the position he was in, he brought me out of that. And I don't even think he knew it at wow. the time, you know. And I will never ever forget that. So that's awesome. That, that was huge. That he did that. Wow. I think yeah. that one. One piece that we haven't touched on yet to kind of assembling the puzzle of your past uh, for our viewers, and that is your involvement with social work. I- I'd love to hear a little bit about that. What did that look like? What got you into that? So it's, you know, my, my entire life has been, it's been good, but there has been some big bumps in the road from a, a young age uh, that were not my fault through middle school, not my fault, high school again, and then my decisions after that, I was my biggest enemy from that point on. Mm. I caused all the destruction from then on out. I was able to, when my, I overdosed uh, and was on a ventilator for like a couple of days, three days in New Mexico on Cinco de Mayo of 2010. And um, when that happened, I was, a, well, prior to that, I was a corrections officer in, in New Mexico and uh, I had gotten my first DUI there wow. and um, on pills. So I, I had to resign, and I, call, I remember calling my mom and telling her, Mom, I'm, I'm going to go on a bender for a while, and that was on pop a bunch of pills, and you'll hear from me later because I don't want to be a, I don't be a jerk, you know. Wow. Next thing she got was a phone call from I don't know who. Your daughter is in, in the ER on a ventilator. Mm-hmm. I don't know if she's going to make it. So um, my family, they all got together. They figured out um, – a rehab here in Arizona for me. My aunt and grandma flew me out here. Um, and I was able to start learning and I didn't know that's what I was doing then, but I today mirror the woman, let's say at the halfway house that I still call my mother. Um, I love to mirror what she does for people. Um, and she still to this day builds me up all the time. You know, she calls me Nicole. That's my middle name. She'll be like, Nicole, 
you are full of crap right now. You better think about what you're saying. And is it real? Is it, you know what I mean? And so like, I always felt that was expected of me to go to college and I wanted to do it to make everybody else proud of me. Um, I really didn't care to be honest. Sure. You know, like I could do vocational work. I go mow a yard. I like to be outside, whatever. But I wanted people to be proud of me after all of this time of messing up and get going to jail and prison and that I went to school and I'm like, what am I good at? I could teach the recovery curriculum with my eyes closed. Like I've lived it for the last 10 years. So, yeah. and I like to, I like to help people and I love, you know, talking to people and good at it. So I went into social work and I, like I said, I was in my senior year when that had been refiled. Um, I was in my internships for social work, about to graduate. And when that happened, it derailed me. So I wasn't able to give my internships, the clients of my interns, the attention that was deserved. So I switched to community advocacy and social policy, which okay. is the exact same coursework minus the internships pretty much. Sure. So um, I graduated with my degree in that. I graduated Magna Cum Laude and I start my MSW, I hope, in the fall for my master's in social work. And after that is when I'll be able to go and listen, I don't want to do face-to-face therapy. I can't handle it because my bedside manner sucks. (laughs) Um, Listen, I'll be like, you, it's like trying to lie to the liar before, you know, like I I played all those games, (laughs) knock it off and just do what you're supposed to do. So I want to be more on a macro a macro level, more political, more, uh, you know, legislative policy, uh, because that's where it begins to me. Recovery begins outward, yep. you know, on a bigger scope for everybody. So, yes, Angela, I did remember who I was. <laughs> know, know yourself, know your strengths, know your weaknesses, know what works for you. Um, I'd like to just re-bring this back now to... Uh, the person over party. And I guess one question I'd like to ask is you you brought this up on Saturday when we had our debate. Why do you believe that? Like what what fuels your your need to research candidates and not just vote straight ticket now? Learning more about people and why they are the way that they are when I was in the School of Social Work really opened my eyes. And I mean, I was not, was just like a country jerk like oh you you're not a christian you're catholic i don't want to mess with you oh you like abortion i don't want to mess with you you know what i mean i didn't care enough to learn about why i didn't know about why why they are i didn't know anything about generational trauma i didn't know anything about conditioning i had no idea but then once i learned about why are people thinking the the way that they do you know why is so-and-so running and using this platform Mm -hmm. Okay, so I was more open to learning and growing. Uh, and if that meant changing, I will never change parties. I am not, I am nowhere. I am moderate now and I will never be one or the other. But it's just that opening your heart to understanding of why people believe the things that they do. And then if you can speak to them and then understand and want to learn and grow themselves in a way that is respectful to maybe have them, you know, like, was take me or vote for me. Well, why would he? Well, because I understand you. I know why you believe this, but let me help you. This is what we can do. So you don't have to have, like go back on your generational trauma and listen to what your mom had told you all those years, all those years, all those years, because that's what was true for her. Right. And I'm not minimizing that, but what's true for us today is not true a generation ago, you know, and that is huge. And and that, that's for me, too. Like, I believed so many things that I don't believe now anymore. You know, I don't want to get it at mom's watching. So. <laughs> well, I think I think there's the way you're raised, the experiences you have, but particularly the way that you're raised, those values usually will influence what you believe. It can be religious values. They can be political values. But, but the way you're raised heavily influences that. Now, there are people who buy into them. There are people who push back once they reach adulthood. Uh, but they they are a large part of our formative years as children, and that's important to understand. But what I cannot respect in someone is when the only reason they vote a particular way is because their parents voted that way, right? Like I tend to agree with my parents on 
religious beliefs, political beliefs, uh, but but that's because they are now my own values, right? And I've I've decided that that is what I believe, and that's probably more often the case than not because that's the way that you're raised and it does heavily influence you. But to me, like you were kind of touching on this, I think it's 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 someone that I don't respect when they vote if the only reason they're voting a specific way is because just because of the party, right? They have a specific letter after the name or just because that's the way their parents vote and they don't do that research for themselves. So what really opened my eyes was this last election with uh, Donald Trump and Joe Biden. And I heard so many people say, I'm not voting for Trump. I hate Trump. So I'll just vote for Biden. Right. Do I need to say more? Should I go on about <laughs> gas, gas prices and uh, whatever? But um, that was not okay. Like, first of all, and this is my own personal opinion, and I'm not, again, I respect the seat. And I respect President Biden. Uh, I'll tell you what, I don't respect his wife. Like, that woman to allow him to, like, wander around aimlessly and, and just, that is not what a wife is supposed to do. But anyways, that, there. That is when my eyes were opened to just voting because I didn't like, like if I were to just vote Republican because I don't like a Democrat, you know, just because they're, they have that D behind their name, but I don't know anything about them. Right. Like that makes no sense. I mean, I voted for Joe Arpaio for God's sake. And I, that was even after his, after my stay in his fine establishment, I was so blinded by that only red or blue that I still voted for that man to go in there you know and <laughs> right uh, it's just it's exhausting i mean it's politics and voting and it's hard work to even vote it should be hard work because guess what this is your life and if you're not doing the research and you're not checking out your candidates who what they have voted for in the past if they were in office before you know what right. were their past actions how did they behave how, you know that's huge yep. If you didn't do that, I don't want to hear you complain about it later on. You don't have any right to complain about it. Yeah. So, um, you know, I have my own moral things that I will never vote for. Um, and, you know, a lot of those are, you know, I discuss a little bit just abortion. There's some things I will not get my morals on and I will not hold. And that's okay. There are some offices such as sheriff or mayor, a county attorney that I believe do not even need to be party specific. Mm. And that is why, like, they don't. But unfortunately, they are. Yeah. You know, and um, that is why, you know, I'm comfortable voting the way I vote today. Yeah. And I mean, again, that I feel like just goes back to categories and we are always placing people in categories. Sheriff gets placed in a category based off of maybe their views off of prison reform or the way that they they approach specific things or maybe even the way that like the candidate personally votes, which is very interesting to me, like like you mentioned being sheriff doesn't have to be party specific but like even for you you know there there's the assumption she's lesbian therefore she must be not conservative must be on the left and i feel like you're you're kind of a walking middle finger to those boxes of like this expectation yes. that you have to to be conformative might be the word there. I am so glad that you see me that way because that's exactly how I try to put myself <laughs> out there. Like if you put me in that box of, you know, you need, you, oh, you're a Democrat. You are far left. Listen, wrong. No, I am not. Right. Now, do I, do I disrespect the Democratic Party? No. But do I disrespect those far left that are burning down buildings and, and towns and, you know, all that? Yeah, I absolutely don't have any respect for them just like I don't have respect for those that broke into the Capitol on January 6th. You know, I mean, it's common sense. Well, yeah. Where the heck did all that go? It doesn't have to be one or the other. Like, just because you are against oh. one doesn't mean you're automatically the other. I, I find it very interesting how the assumption is just, okay, well, you disagree with this, therefore you're this, right? Like, you, you disagree with BLM burning cities and rioting. Therefore, you're a Trump supporter, right? Like it's it's it, there's there's many many steps for people between the two, and they, there's almost this false dichotomy that's created. I, I guess my next question then would be: usually, let me lay this down first. Usually, the assumption is that conservatives are anti-LGBTQ, that they're not accepting of them, and therefore you're kind of voting against your own interest as a member of the LGBTQ community. How did you reconcile that? What are what are your thoughts in to that? So, like I said, I have received more love 
especially as of within the last three years, uh, more love from the conservative party, uh, Republican party regarding my sexuality and more hate from the left, you know, the all-inclusive left, because I was that first step with a Republican lawmaker here, Mm -hmm. because that's where my morals and values are, you know, and we spoke about this before and the truth be told, like I was groomed at an early age. I still don't know. Like, that's why I've been alone and single for almost two years. And I'm doing that so I can figure myself out and discern within myself, not what I was brought up believing, not what I'm hearing from the right or left, but what's in here. You know what I mean? That year or two or two years alone is like, it's tough. Like I said, I've gotten more love from the conservative party. Now, if you would have taken it back 10 years ago, 15 years ago, no. It was, um, you know, I go to a Baptist church and there was a, a table with the, when President Obama was signing marriage into law and I was home on leave and I'm sorry, mom, but it was true. Um, you know, I go to the church and I'm like, aren't you going to sign this? No, I'm not. What I am going to do is I'm going to go home now. And that's really when I left church and I have not been back. Mm-hmm. And that's the difference between religion and spirituality. Um, I will never lose my moral compass. I know what it is. Now, I don't need all of that nonsense from the congregation to tell me what's right and what's wrong. I can discern it myself. So it just it's just learning to be okay with yourself and figuring things out, man. That's it. So not checking yeah. those boxes, not conforming to... Ah, uh, she's lesbian, therefore she must be in lockstep with whatever left agenda they want. You push back against that, walk your middle finger to that. My my question for you then um, is, can you tell us a little bit about maybe some of the hatred you've received from people for your views that you have, the pushback that you give? What Paint us a picture there, because I know it's been rough. <laughs> so, yeah, it has. It still is. Like, I get it all over TikTok. Um, I'll tell you, I made, I made my TikTok account over Christmas or I believe somewhere Thanksgiving okay. or Christmas and it just like I went to sleep and then it just kind of blew up it was really weird yeah. but um I get a lot of hate on there and you know I love it when they throw bible verses at me because <laughs> you don't want to you don't want to do that with me because first of all I know it quite well and if I don't know it guess what my mom knows it even better so I've gotten death threats threats on my family my ex-wife she was threatened and I felt very unsafe. You know, I felt more unsafe when I was married. I'm good. You know, I've, I've dealt with feeling uncomfortable my entire life. So I'm okay with that. But when there's other, you bring other people. Right, right. You're going to, yeah, you're going to get, you're going to get the, um, I'm not a mom, but you're going to get the mama bear effect. Right. So it's been, it's been really hard. And, you know, my feelings, I do have really soft feelings and I have a very soft heart. And, um, I just have to put on my thick skin and, and remember what I said. Why do they think this? Where did they come from? Right. Before you open, Danielle, before you open your mouth and are a jerk, why are they where they are today? And then, I, then I'm able to reply with grace. <laughs> Even though I'm biting my tongue uh, sometimes, I'm like, <laughs> but it's, it's been hard. It's yep. been hard. You know, I don't feel, I feel more comfortable in my own skin than I ever have. But it's, it's good. still not comfortable. It's still not comfortable, you know. Especially when I believe the political way that I believe, and then I, I, I still am not sure about things regarding my sexuality. Um, like it's just like I feel like a walking contradiction. Mm-hmm. But you know what? I have grown to love that about myself, and I'm able to speak my story. And yep. you know, when when I'm and I'm not ashamed, you know. Like this is what I'm going through, and if it helps you, that's awesome like that is my my one goal that i just hope that things that i say on here or on tiktok just about keep pushing on and don't conform and don't mold if you feel it strongly in here go for it you know like i i just love the woman that i have grown to be you know and that's it feels good I think that underscores the importance of nuance, right? Like even even the fact that you're not in lockstep, I'm not in lockstep. Like more people are not in lockstep with the party that they've potentially been voting for. I think today more than ever because 
there's if they're doing what they're supposed to be doing, and that is their research, then they're realizing that like these people who are politicians are supposed to be servants, public servants. They work for us, which means that, you know, we should be holding them accountable when, you know, if we put them in office that agree that that should mean we agree with at least most of what they do. You're probably not going to get 100 percent. But even if I vote for that candidate, that doesn't mean I endorse the the bad things that they do or the bad decisions that they make or the human error that comes in. It means that as a representative, I think that in general, they represent my interests. So I vote for them. And I think that we touched on this a few weeks ago, I think it was. It was with uh, Luigi from the Agree to Disagree show. One of the problems that I think we're seeing in today's political climate is that people wrap so much of their identity into their political identity, right? So instead of saying, I am voting for this particular person and they align with this party because I think they serve my interests, it's okay, well, now I have to label you as that means you're hardcore Republican, hardcore Democrat, far left. You get enough of those those policies, maybe we can find a pattern and say, all right, you tend to vote with this party. But I feel like people just are put into these boxes. And then when you step out of that box, then you receive the hate that you just talked about. Well, yeah, because I'm supposed to, by the way I look and the people that are in my life or used to be in my life, uh, ex-wife, whatever, that I'm supposed to think a certain way because I sleep with a certain person. Yeah. How does how does that go together? Like, has nothing to do. It's not anybody's business what goes right. on behind closed doors. Like, my my thoughts and my heart and my moral compass belong to me, yeah. and there is nobody gets to put that in a box. I don't get to put anything you. I don't get to put you anywhere. Like, you're a white cis male Trump. Like, <laughs> you know, what I, mean? I don't know that, but the way you look, I mean, uh, it's assuming, the same yeah. Thing. I'm assuming, yeah, yep. and you know. You can't do that because right. I will prove you. You keep assuming about me, people. I will always prove you wrong. Yeah. Because I'm just a walking contradiction to you, people, not me. Like I get me. <laughs> you know, stop putting me in boxes, and then I will. <laughs> Uh, well, why don't we, as we kind of wrap this up, I want to ask you some like future predictions, and this is calling for you to speculate. But I guess number one, uh, where do you think the current parties are going, um, or what do you think the fallout is post twenty twenty election? Like, I think to me, one of the corrections seems to be fewer people are aligning themselves with a specific party. They're they're we're seeing a little bit more nuance when people are allowed to have the conversations we're having than. We, we find that we have more overlap. That, that's one thing I think. But I, I'm curious if there's anything you might add to that as far as how the parties or politics as a game might be shifting. I think it's all going straight to hell, to be honest. <laughs> if we keep going on the same road that we're going on, then I mean, okay, now, just seriously. <laughs> um, I got to tell, I got to be honest, um, as much as Donald Trump bugs the crap out of me when he opens his mouth, like, I still felt more safe. Our economy was so much better. Our all of our unemployment rates, everything was much better. You know, yep. the man will just keep his mouth shut. <laughs> um, I hope that's where we go, twenty twenty four. Unless there's a better candidate, um, again, I'll do all my research. And as of now, uh, if he runs in twenty twenty four, I vote for that. Uh, but if you know, throw somebody else in there that I've never heard of, and I will research, research, research. And if I agree and my morals are not bent or swayed from, then I'll vote for them too, even if they're Democrats. So it's just, I don't know where it's going. All I know is what I'm going to be doing, whichever directions it goes. Sure. You know, I'm going to stand firm in what I believe. I won't bend, and I will continue to do the work to make sure that I vote for the right person to be in office. And um, I take my voting seriously, more serious now that I have my civil rights back after not having them for since 2020. Wow. And um, yeah, so it's a long time. Like, it is, you That's know, a long I, time. Two years now. I I hated it. Wow. But I have them back now, and uh, <laughs> I'm ready. Like I said, I'm not going to bend. I will not bend my moral compass. I will not sway from what I believe the truth is. And if that's Republican or Democrat, which normally, unless it's sheriff or county attorney or something like that, if they're a lawmaker, I tend to go Republican. But I still think they need a lot of help, too. You know, it's just reminding them that they work for us. And yep. that they need to listen to us, you know, and a lot of times they don't. It's all about what they want and what lines their pocket. And that's not why the hell they're there. 
So it's just if you want to make a difference and you want them to hear you, you can look up your legislation online. Find out who your legislator is in your district. Find out who your who your senator is. You can request to speak yep. um, at, at the at, you know legislator. I've done it and do it. They hear you when you're there. The louder you are, the more they have to listen. Yeah. And if you're just quiet and you're complaining to your friends and family about the way the world is right now, all you're doing is just making more noise. You're not helping. Get out there. Make noise, and I'm not talking about burning buildings, people. So I'm talking about going to your legislator, sitting in those boring rooms and hearing them argue like adult children, um, and getting up there and speaking about what you believe the truth is, you know, just like I did about criminal justice reform and how we don't all fit in one box. And then, you know, I was proud to stand up there and like, we cannot do this anymore. You know, you can do that too. Get out there, look it up. Go to your state legislator, your state uh, senate website, find out who those people are, write them, go to your office uh, during the meetings, and get busy. Yeah, Nothing's going to change if you're going to stay there. Stay stagnant, nothing changes. Yeah. So. so that teases up very nicely for my last two questions. So the first of those is, what advice would you give our listeners? Um, anything you want to add to what you just said other than vote and Contact your representatives. Don't complain to the people around you. Complain to people who can make a difference and hold them accountable. Any other advice you want to leave our listeners with? You know, um, when you're what I when I would argue with people regarding a certain, let's say, the left, what they believed and what they thought I should believe, and I was just spewing nonsense that was coming from the way I grew up. I had no like education or anything to back it up that was peer reviewed, nothing like that. It was just BS, hearsay. Be informed. Inform yourself. Have a valid argument of why, not just emotion, because once you bring emotion in, that's it. Yeah. Talk about factual basis. Okay, well, criminal justice, we have 85% of our beds filled. This costs us this amount, this amount of money every year. You as taxpayers are responsible for that. Right. You want to continue paying that? You know what I mean? Just yep. back yourself up with the numbers that are true and not just emotion because nobody cares about what you feel. This is a very And I mean, it's true. So. Angela asks, is there advice to young people who feel powerless in abusive situations? It's very specific, and I, I think that that's a very good question. I wish I would have listened to my mom. Mm. Um. You know, she, uh, I get a little emotional here. When when my elementary school principal and his wife had taken advantage of me and she called the police and the police came and I lied, you know, and I knew I was lying and I knew I was wrong, but I just wanted to be loved by everyone, you know, always listen to your gut. And if you feel uncomfortable or you feel something's wrong, Tell somebody. It's okay to tell somebody. It, that's a tough one. It really is. Yeah. But all I can say is I wish I would have listened to the people that I loved yeah. and done the right thing. Then, you know, I, like I said, I was young. I was a kid. It's tough when you're a kid. Find somebody that you trust. And I would say a school representative. They are mandated reporters. Like They are mandated to report anything that seems suspicious um, if we're talking about child abuse, whether it be physical or sexual or whatever. Um, Yes, be brave, Angela. That's you have to. I did. I wasn't brave when I was young, and that molded my path. And that was a long, exhausting for my, not only myself but for my family uh, path. And you have to be brave and say something. It's okay. You did nothing wrong. It's not you. Remember that. Great. I, I carried that for. I carried that for a long time. This was my fault. They did this. You know, I deserved it. It was uh, never. No, 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 right. no, Danielle. It's not your fault. So I think it's important if you feel that you come across a child that is uh, in an abusive whatever, just let them know it's not their fault. Gain their trust and get them to talk to you mm-hmm. and do the right thing by them. Because if you don't, then you're just going to send them off, you know, on the wrong way. Sorry, it gets a little touchy, a little feely for me. But it's 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 necessary, and, and your experience here speaks to that. So, no, that was a great answer. Thank you. Um, is there anything yeah. anything as we wrap up here, any final thoughts you want to give? 
again, you know, I don't know what it's really like uh, to be, let's say I, I didn't have the family that I have. Is it a perfect family? No, but it's a wonderful family and they love me. Yeah. Now I know a lot of people in recovery or with uh, mental health issues don't have that. Again, get into the recovery in your state, uh, go to meetings. I'm not a huge person of a 12 step person, but guess what? That's where I met my family, right. you know, and they're still my friends here. And, um, that's, you can pick your family today. You're not alone. You're never alone. You know, you just go to the right places because I felt so alone here. Like I said, I was just existing until I wasn't, but yeah. I have people pushing me out of there. You can find that too. Even if they're not blood related, that's even better because you're not stuck with them forever. Get mom. <laughs> <laughs> All right. But you know you're never you're just never alone. Yeah, life's hard, man. <laughs> it's hard. It is. You can always you can always find me on TikTok, and I do my very best yeah. to reply to people, especially when they're reaching out to me with questions like that. Mm. Um, I do my very best to reply and be there for people. Yeah, we all we all need people. So, and that's what we're all here for. Forget red and blue. We all need to help each other. When we say it takes a village, not a red and blue village. <laughs> all come together and help each other. For yeah. One. What is your TikTok that they can follow and that they can message you on since you brought that up? Uh, Navy Doc 1981. Navy Doc 1981. That will be linked yeah. in the description below. So follow at Navy Doc 1981 on TikTok. Also follow Between the Liars. We have Instagram, we have Facebook, we have Twitter. You can watch our lives every Saturday and sometimes the bonus episodes like this uh, through our YouTube, through our Twitch, and through our Facebook live page. So um, if you want to talk with us before the show and after the show in our private Discord, you can look into the memberships. Those will also be linked below. That helps support the show, helps us be able to keep streaming. Danielle, thank you so much for sharing your story, for giving your insight. This was super informative, really solidified person over party. So thank you. Well, thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. And, um, I'm here. So. <laughs> All right. Well, I, that, I ain't going nowhere. <laughs> <laughs> that is going to be it for today. Remember, you can find us on Spotify, Apple, YouTube, Twitch, Google Podcasts. Follow us on our social medias to stay updated so you get the bonus content like this with Danielle and our other great guests. And if you enjoy this show, just give us a five-star review. Help push us. I want to be at the top of those charts. So help get Danielle's word out there. Help get the show out there. I'm sure you find yourself somewhere between the liars. Goodbye for now. <laughs> <laughs>